Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. Today is Thursday, November 15th, 2018. This is Minnesota Politics 101. I'm Pat Kessler, the political reporter at WCCO Television in Minneapolis. It's now eight days after the midterm election, eight days after the blue wave hit this land of 10,000 lakes. Minnesota has a new Democratic governor, attorney general, and secretary of state, two Democratic U.S. senators, and in a surprise, I think, to a lot of people, there's a new Democratic State House of Representatives. Minnesota House Democrats elected a new leader. She is a progressive lawyer, a suburban lawmaker, and a fierce advocate for women. Please welcome your next Speaker of the House, Melissa Hortman! Melissa Hortman becomes the powerful House Speaker, the second most powerful elected official in the state behind the governor. And the people we need to thank the most are our incredible candidates who ran for the Minnesota House this year. Portman's rise to speaker was not swift. She is an attorney who worked with community groups for years. She's a 14-year state lawmaker specializing in employment, climate change, and green economy legislation. She gained notoriety, though. In 2017, she was the minority leader for the Democrats, for what was then a very controversial Me Too moment before there was a Me Too moment in this country. The new House Speaker, Melissa Hortman, is joining us. Representative Hortman, what shall I call you? Are you Speaker I designate? I am Speaker Designate. All right, that, that or has... Or Minority Leader, or Melissa. All those work. It must be odd to think of it this way. Do you, Speaker-designate? It's not odd because I've seen um, in my time five speakers go from Speaker-designate to Speaker, so it's familiar. When you became Minority Leader a couple of years ago, was this something you thought might happen? It's the job of the Minority Leader to flip the majority. It is absolutely the job. So when I became Minority Leader, that those were my marching orders from the caucus. They are everybody's marching orders when they become Minority Leader. And you did it. That's the work that we set out to do. And because of how great our candidates were and how hard they worked, we did it. Let me ask you about those candidates. Uh, I was in a room with you here uh, at the state capitol when you presented the candidates. Uh, the vast majority of them at that place were women. Yes. Tell me what was in your mind. What, what was that strategy? We did not actively go out and seek women candidates to step forward, but women did step forward. So I think starting from the Trump election and then followed closely by the Women's March, the Elizabeth Warren, nevertheless, she persisted moment. Sorry, not sorry. Then we have the Weinstein sexual harassment, Me Too stuff. So women really never had a chance to quit being angry about the 2016 election. To a lot of women, what the 2016 election said is we as a culture, we as a society, don't care about sexual assault and we don't care about inequality. When you say the 2016 election, do you mean Donald Trump? Right. Well, I mean the precise piece of it where the Access Hollywood tape was released where he admitted to assaulting women 
and with some glee and inappropriate attitude towards it and then went on to be elected president. I think that would, that said something to the women of this country that it was time for them if they didn't think that was the way they wanted to see things go to get involved and they did. What was your impression when you heard that Hollywood access a couple of weeks before the election? What did that make you feel and then when you saw the results of the election, your reaction? I think a lot of people thought that was a disqualifying moment. That was a revelation of character, which meant that that individual was not qualified to be the President of the United States. Were you mad? Were you sad? Uh, were you energized? What were you? When I heard the Access Hollywood tape? Yeah. You know, I'm a lawyer, so I uh, calmly process evidence. And what I thought was that that was a very clear case that this individual was not qualified to be the president. And I thought that the population of the United States of America would make that same assessment. So President Trump is elected. Uh, you are reelected to your post uh, at uh, the state capitol as a state rep. You become minority leader. President Trump promised to be a disruptor. Did you come into this job thinking you're going to disrupt? No. One thing that was clear when we went stayed in the minority and when I took the position of minority leader was that there was a need for a person in my position to call out the changing cultural norms and say they weren't okay. In other words, it appeared that the White House was signaling a green light for racism and sexism to reassert themselves in our society. And somebody in my position, if I didn't have the power to stop bills, I at least had the power to call out that sexism and racism are not okay and that's un-American and we're not going in that direction. And you saw that right here in Minnesota. I did. I, th I think that a lot of people saw that sort of behavior green-lighted by this president. And I, you had a shocking moment uh, to a lot of people on the floor of the House where you stood up one day uh, to defend your members, your female members, who were standing to give remarks on a bill who were ignored in your view. Tell me what, what that was about. Well, the bill we were debating was a public safety bill. And it was about how communities of color often have to assert themselves to gain rights with a lot of references to the civil rights struggle. We were talking about protest as a mechanism for accomplishing social change. And when you talk about constricting the rights of someone to protest, you're really talking about making it even more difficult for communities of color and women to assert their rights. That was the conversation on the House floor that was ignored. And the fact that the people who were ignoring that conversation were white men was relevant to the conversation. So a handful of lawmakers who are women of color giving speeches on the House floor about their very personal experiences and male lawmakers begin drifting away on the floor of the House to a private hideaway at the back of the Minnesota House chamber. The guys get up a card game and they happen to have the Minnesota Twins on a TV monitor in the background of this retiring room, it's called, this private hideaway. Hortman is the minority leader. She sees this and she's upset. So she takes the microphone, gets up on the floor and she says this. I hate to break up the 100% white male card game in the retiring room. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but this is a breach of some unwritten code 
among lawmakers. You don't say this kind of stuff. She's calling out their behavior in public. But this is about white males, about sexism, which brings a lot of outrage, especially from Republicans. They call it sexist, racist, and they demand from her, and they're in the majority, they demand from the minority leader a public apology. But Hortman doesn't back down. I was very angry because the whole beauty of the moment was that these women, and women of color in particular, had worked so hard to get here, to be a part of the conversation, to be in power, to affect the laws. They didn't have to protest, they're lawmakers. And then their colleagues who have the power with them to change laws were not listening to them. So this is what happens. Women start showing up at the Capitol to support Hortman. Some of them bring along handmade signs that, that read, tired of listening and won't back down. And they start gathering at the Capitol over the following days. And a bunch of them show up for a protest at the Capitol. She meets with them and this is what she says. Why, what I said touched a nerve is so many of us have had that experience of being ignored. And let's not just let it go anymore. Let's call bull when we see it. And that becomes a moment. Some of these signs read, sorry, not sorry. It's a Beyonce song on the Lemonade album. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry becomes the unofficial anthem of this Minnesota moment for women. Hortman doesn't run away from it, but she says it's water under the bridge, and she she's a little uncomfortable with being defined by this and with this being a defining moment. She's got a large Democratic caucus now. She's in charge of this. She's a speaker. She's got a large caucus to run, and she's got major bills to the, pass. The thing is, we're able to be a team because we have 47% women, finally, so it's not unbalanced. We're, we're a balanced team. So I hear you saying that women are a real important part of this, but it's about everybody. Absolutely. It is about everybody. That's the beautiful thing about the DFL House Caucus, is we are a caucus that has diversity. Uh, we have five Hmong members. We have Native American members. We have a Hispanic member, an African American member, two Somali members. We have diversity geographically, so the border with Canada, the border with Iowa, the border with North Dakota and South Dakota, and the border with Wisconsin. So we're a full state party. We're a full demographic party. What are you going to bring to the House floor uh, to, to pass? What do you see as essential bills for this legislative session? Well, I think that we will very certainly be looking at gun violence prevention. We will be looking at the opioid abuse epidemic and doing something about it. We will also be looking at the bad actors in the nursing home industry. You know, the nursing home industry is full of wonderful people who take care of our grandparents in the waning days of their life. And so we owe it to those wonderful people to take care of the bad actor problem. And then, of course, the big issues that state government always deals with. How do we fund our schools well so they can do a great job for our children? How do we fund our health care system so everybody can have affordable and accessible health care? Those are the kind of the standard fare year in and year out. But the special issues this year would be gun violence, opioids, okay, right. um, dealing with the bad actors um, who've abused seniors. Sorry, I'm 
Thanks for listening. Minnesota Politics 101 is produced by Sean Skinner. I'm Pat Kessler.